In this episode, I talk Busted, McFly, 2000s guitar music, and a whole lot more with radio presenter Danny Sim. Then, podcaster Jack Haywood is our guest in the empty compartment. This is 90s and Noughties UK, a podcast on UK pop culture of the 90s and 2000s. If you want to contact the show, email 90sandnoughties at gmail.com, tweet us on at 90sandnoughtiesuk on Twitter, or check us out on Facebook, 90sandnoughtiesuk. This is the 90s and Noughties UK podcast. I'm joined by Danny Sim, who's here to talk about um, a very particular time in music. The early 2000s were a hotbed for guitar bands. At the turn of the millennium, there were the loads of bands that came on the scene, the likes of Blink-182, uh, Sum-41. They might have been around for a while, of course, but the really hit the mainstream then a couple of years in a um a band came into being called busted who were sort of part boy band part rock band and this is exactly well this is half of what we're going to be talking about today thanks danny for joining us um when did you first discover busted oh right right so so it would have been 2002 i think Around, around the time the first ever single came out. So I would have been four or five years old, right? Four or five years old. Uh, and I used to be obsessed. Um, and it's something that I, I, I really wish, really wish was still around. Unfortunately, it's not on TV anymore. And for the life of me, right, I tried Googling this for ages earlier. Couldn't find it. But there used to be a kid's channel. And this kid's channel showed, ex- basically, it showed a few programs. But it would frequently just run with like half an hour of music videos. Um, I, I, I can't remember what it was. I, I used to be watching loads of stuff like Power Rangers, Time Force and Wild Force at the time. And, uh, and it was somewhere around that block of programming. Um, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon as well. Um, and one day, the, the music video for, for uh, It's What I Go to School For came on. I was hooked straight away. I uh, immediately envisioned myself as a rock star uh, and was uh, a particular my favorite was always Matt Willis. So I was, I always wanted to play, to play bass like him and, 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 and that, and it was, it, it was amazing at the time. Like they were definitely my favorite band and probably the most, most formative band uh, from that, from that era. They were so important musically at the time, like for the charts and in the direction of where music went throughout the uh, early to late noughties. Uh, but for me personally as well, like it was absolutely incredible. That Christmas, uh, my mum and dad bought me my first ever guitar. I learned how to play one song, which was Get Back by the Beatles. Signed me Nan as my manager and did a concert on Boxing Day for the family. <laughs> That's lovely, isn't it? It is. It is. They they, they are. There was, um, there was a lot, what is it, like in the early 2000s i think to be honest it probably started in, in my opinion this is only ever my opinion i'm not trying to shout out any hard facts but i can only explain it how i've ever how i've ever perceived it 
which was um, American Pie came out in 1999 and was obviously a massive sensation. And one thing that people, you know, a lot of American Pie has not aged well in particular. I showed it to my like hyper feminist girlfriend and she shouted at me. Uh, so it's, it's not aged well. One thing that has, though, is the music, the soundtrack, because the soundtrack to American Pie was loaded at the time with Offspring, Blink, Green Day. I mean, Green Day had been going since 1987, but like I feel like the 90s was a big kickoff for them. Um, and I, I, and the, as of, because that movie was such a big hit, th that style, that pop punk, that pop rock started to drift into, into the mainstream, in particular in America. Um, but it started very swiftly all over here because of American Pie, I think. And I feel like Busted would, it was as soon as that happened, Busted were going to happen. It was like, a, it was like a, um, Indiana Jones, you know, uh, Raiders of the Lost Out with the rolling ball. It was like that. The rolling ball was the American Pie soundtrack and at the end of the cave was like a Busted and it was, it was going to get there until you had that British pop rock band. And that's what they, that's what they were. And they, they, they dominated like with 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 their, with their singles, uh, their albums. They were all over the TV, the movie, Thunderbirds, like all of it. It's it, unreal. Yeah, you see, I I perceived it slightly differently. They just seemed like to me, they seemed almost like Westlife, but with guitars. Really. Yeah, like they seem more boy bandy, and I think that's because they appeared on the front cover of Smash Hits. And I'm sure I remember seeing that and reading it and they were shooting the music video for um, what I go to school for. And it seemed very much in the mold of sort of the more manufactured side of things. So, yeah, I didn't quite perceive it like that. But actually, um, listening to a lot of it now and knowing that they played a lot of their own instruments and wrote a lot of the songs themselves, um, Year 3000 being one of the operative ones, even though it sounds like it was, it was written by a bunch of men in a, in a boarding room. But actually, you know, it's, it it's pretty it, credible. It was, it was written at a piano in Southend-on-Sea. Yeah. Uh, by one of the band and that's what i think i liked about busted and this is and bearing in mind as well my age at the time i was five to eight why busted were around um so i never perceived them as manufactured i only ever had a child's view of it which was it is what it is and it's what it was put in front of you and it's, it's pop rock uh, over the years I, I wouldn't ever say like they were they, they were they were manufactured um i think there was i think they were marketed as a pop band but were actually a real band marketed as a pop band. And I think that's why they were so successful. They took those lessons that had been learned from Westlife and Boyzone, Girls Aloud, these groups, these pop groups, which were manufactured. They sort of decided, well, it's, it's, it's only the same as if me and you, Jamie, decided to start a skiffle group. And we were like, right, well, what works well for Drake? Right, he's on spot. Let's, you know, let's, and we just followed the same methods. And I feel like it was just a different band, same method. And that's why so many people think that it's, oh, it's manufactured boy band. They will actually, no. No, there was a lot more going on there. And, and sadly, in the mid-2000s, they, they split up. I mean, you, you must have been quite young at the time. How did you feel? I cried. I did. Uh, 2004, they released, um, that was when they did the Thunderbirds movie. Um, and couple, just to add some context to this, my childhood interests at the time were ITV's reruns of Thunderbirds and Busted's music. So then one day they make a Busted film, uh, a Thunderbird film and Busted's in it. So I'm like, okay, this is, I'm gonna need to 
get every day off school here to go and see this every day in the cinema. So we, they were riding on the riding on this high. Um, I was really, really excited. Um, and then literally first thing, January 2005, press conference, they split up. I, I cried. I, I did. I was really, really, really upset because I was like, oh, no, it's it, it's it's over. It's there's, there's nothing. There's nothing happening now. And it, it was feeling really gutting at the time. You know, it was it was really upsetting. I know that there will be many fans out there that will agree with you on that. But about the time that they, they split up, they helped to introduce another band into the mainstream um which is the other half of of um of the puzzle as it were today mcfly mcfly are a good one i never i always preferred busted to mcfly um purely because i think busted rock harder it's that simple i you know i've been to mcfly gigs i've been to busted gigs but i always had the better time at, at busted gigs yeah mcfly, mcfly were very good i had um i had james Bourne, james from busted on my radio show last week and we talked about um, we talked about actually the formation of McFly, basically because obviously Tom from McFly was was in Busted originally, um, and then kicked out when they wanted to release it as a free piece. But James and Tom had wrote these songs, which eventually turned into like McFly songs, and that was how that happened. And it, it, it I mean, it did only it, it McFly have always felt more homely, I suppose. You know, Busted to me were rock and roll. You know, I remember newspapers um, and they, you know, they'd put people like Amy Winehouse and Matt Willis together. You know, you wouldn't have that with McFly. They were very happy. They were on the CBBC quite a lot. I used to remember like tune, tuning into that and, you know, McFly would be on CBBC, whereas Busted, I don't think, especially with a few of the issues that were plaguing the members at the time, would have done that whole thing. So McFly always felt, they always felt more comfortable. They always felt more like, Oh, well, let's sit around the fire and put a McFly album on. Not let's down a bottle of vodka, smash a window and listen to Busted. Which I've never done. <laughs> That's a very interesting way of, of looking at it. And I I did think that McFly were were throwback. I mean, I've been listening to some stuff before before I come on to here. And there's a lot of throwbacks to, to a lot of sixties material. I mean, you know, tracks on their their first album. Uh, there was one called like Surfer Babe Surfer, or something. I love Surfer Babe. It's it's but it's, it's all beach. It's essentially a Beach Boys album. That first. Yeah. Um, like uh, there's what is it? Um, for the riff to Five Colors in a Her. If you move like two notes around, it's um essentially just I'm a Believer by the Monkees. Um, and all that sort of thing. It's brilliant, and they they use so much of that brilliant surf rock, which was uh, in particular, it was so prevalent in early Beach Boys stuff, um, surfing USA, surfing California, big fans of water, the Beach Boys, believe it or not. Um, and McFly took that and they did like they did wonderful things with it in that first album. It was fantastic. Room on the Third Floor was one of the but one of the best debut albums for a British band ever. It was, it, it was incredible um, because what I feel I feel like. What McFly did was was what Busted never did. McFly grew up like as a band. So um, obviously with Busted, you got the two hits, two albums. Oh, sorry, and then they they went. Whereas McFly, for me, maybe I perceive them differently because they've always been around, really. Like, and when they've not been touring, they're always on TV. You know, like the members of those sort of family friendly ITV two chat show types. 
So they're always about, whereas you didn't really get that from Busted, especially after the breakup when, other than Matt winning the I'm a Celebrity, there wasn't much going on from the from the rest of them in the mainstream. And particularly me at nine or ten years old at that point. Although, as a side note, Matt Willis's um, solo album was extremely good. And that was more, that reminded me of Green Day and that kind of sound. And again, um, further strengthens what you were saying about Busted. Yeah. I think there was a lot of, in particular with um, with, with James and Matt, I feel like they, 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 they had this music that was becoming popular towards like 99 to 2000. Um, but again, like I thought because of American Pie. And it's like, you can hear it. And particularly in Matt's solo album, um, and in, especially in the second Busted album, the more grown-up one, each of the each of the band has their song, and um, Matt's it's it's a Green Day song, and it's fantastic. Aside from from Matt, the other two went on to do other things as well, solo, and and in in bands because Charlie went straight into Fight Star. Yeah, yeah, I never listened to them. Have you not met them? Lovely people, but they broke up, busted man. <laughs> 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 call me sour but it has only been 15 years that i mean that's an interesting <laughs> point of view because i was listening to some before this and yeah it's a lot heavier and i know that there are people who've been in uh let's just say in quotations pop bands who want something a bit harder and mm. they go off and do do stuff and that that's what that sounded like to me they wanted that he wanted that much harder sound and he did some stuff solo as well and uh, of course now they're back together as it were they released um their comeback album night driver in uh, in 2016 uh, which was very good i enjoyed that i i bought the vinyl looks great on vinyl um and obviously just released um a fairly recent album which went back to that sound after the very much um i remember somebody coming in um, to my house once as I was playing Night Driver and they said oh that's bitty music like computerized synths you know like almost like 16-bit SNES music um, some of it sounds a little bit throwbacky like that but this new album from what I hear sounds a lot more close to what they originally intended yeah it's it's a tricky one because I really liked the balls of busted when they came back to to completely say goodbye to their old sound and reinvent themselves as a new band, a grown-up band making modern pop. And in particular in 2016, when the album came out, there was a big, because obviously Stranger Things had just, uh, there was this whole 80s vibe going on. So they, it was very logical and very sensible of them to capitalise on a, tr- a mainstream trending topic like that. Um, and in particular as well, to be like, oh yeah, Busted are back, but not like you think. They're not back. They're just they're back. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and a night driver was fantastic. It was particularly fun to me um, because I was see I was quite good friends with um, James's little brother Chris, um, and we'd planned on my agent at the time, Guy Lambert. For um, uh, he made a documentary with me and Chris when Chris was doing his own tour because he's a solo artist. And I believe there was some sort of like some really good chemistry between us when we did it. And the worst, like we got along really, really well. And he sort of spurred us on to to do this, um, to do a vlog series together. 
so that one day and we we, we we said we'd do it we had no plans like what we were going to do in it or anything but uh one day chris phones me up he says danny what are you doing tomorrow i said to much no but not nothing really like just sat here in wigan watching the clouds go by watch what you do go mark get down a pit down the mines whatever um but he said well can you cancel all your plans for the next month and i was like well, uh why and he was like because uh basically as you know like the busted tour starts tomorrow in norwich and um i need your help like on, on like helping out on, on the road and i was like oh okay packed a bag gone literally i said tirade to my parents and was like i'll see you in a month and i just went i packed a little like a like a little rucksack but we snapped back on left Got on the got on the quiet carriage, uh, quiet carriage to Norwich. It was fantastic, um, and I and I and then the night driver. And obviously, the album had come out, and it was uh, it was the end of January 2017. The gigs were phenomenal. They had an incredible production. It was much smaller venues, 1,000, 2,000 capacity clubs, and they departed so much from that old vibe. They'd even reworked some of their original songs to have different parts in it to match their new. So it was fantastic. That was one hell of a tour. That it was brilliant. Um, I didn't like the new album because I think I I I, di- I don't think they should have gone back to that old sound. They made a nostalgia album. Props to them. It probably made them more money than Night Driver did, but I didn't care for it. Um, and it's not it's it's not a view I sort of shy away from. It was just it was just mm, it's like okay, but. You did this 10 years ago. What are you doing? What's now? What's in your head now? You only have to listen to Charlie's solo album or James's new solo stuff to hear that there is such fantastic, intricate musicianship and songwriting with those three guys. They are, they are masters of their craft. You know, there ain't nothing manufactured about them. They are very, very good at what they do. And they just come back to three, four chord guitar pop. And it's like, didn't do it for me, sadly. <laughs> let's go back a moment i mean what a story you end up essentially going on tour with busted um which is in incredible um that's that's incredible in itself and you were right with with um night driver it was very different and uh, of course um this new album recent album that came out is very throwbacky to that original sound and it is kind of disappointing because you want them to almost like reinvent themselves like they did with the previous album but to go back all the way back what is your favorite busted single that they released during their first tenure and i realize that that's a really hard question because um you know you've got so many great tracks in there um sleeping with the light on who's david um crashed a wedding year 3000 you know what i go to school for my personal favorite is has changed as a kid it was from the birds i got just was that was the song it combined everything i loved about the world at the time and it just it just i got the cd and just looped it and looped it and looped it till everyone around me had gone mad i got me tracy island took off me that week and but now like looking back at it at, at, at 23 and being objective about the music and having now become essentially like a, a really half-assed musician 
Um, but being able to, to, to notice songwriting and, and, and composition like that, I would have to say, who's David? Because who's it's such a fantastic song. And as I've, the, my, 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 my previous relationships I've had have always usually ended up with me being cheated on. Um, so there's always been that confrontation we've, where, where I've had to have on like three separate occasions. All right, who's David? Do you know what I mean? So then so maybe it's maybe it's that. But definitely, definitely who's David, I think, is is the best that they have that they've ever done musically uh, the 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 orchestra in it the strings it just it climbs on you it's it's wonderful and i absolutely i'm so here for so here for for who's david i you could smell what mood i'm in yeah you put that song on i'll be dancing i i can tell by by talking to you now it's, it's incredibly relatable as should a pop song be it's supposed to be relatable now i i realize for any bust um busted fans that have tuned in sure you know yeah great we're getting what we want but the mcfly fans might feel that busted have crashed it slightly um i think i think we 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 might need to go back to mcfly for even just a moment i know that they're almost in this instance you said you prefer one over the other but since we are talking about that um, wonderful period of time um, in the early 2000s, which I suppose kind of came to a head once um, once Busted had split up, because suddenly you had this big diluge of of um, guitar bands. You had people like The Feeling and The Killers and all this stuff. I, you know, you keep saying things as I think them. Like, as you said guitar bands, I was like, yeah, The Feeling. Um, the Feeling are fantastic. Um, I I, I, re- I really really love the feeling, and I really like that it that sort of two thousand four two thousand five breaking point gave way to so many wonderful songs. But not even in the mainstream guitar pop. I think you had bands like uh, the Cribs, Arctic Monkeys, um, in- indie bands who became more popular in that era. And believe it or not, I believe that if you trace it back far enough, you have busted to thank for it. Sorry. <laughs> but it's good because it's no, ag- again that's com- that's completely okay um because you know around i remember being at college around 06 07 guitar bands were absolutely everywhere snow patrol were in the charts for about a million weeks with chasing cars um that seemed to be you know huge for a very long period of time and um i i reminded myself earlier that mcfly to go on to mcfly even just for a second um that Top Gear did uh, a comic relief mashup, if you remember, with with Top of the Pops, in which McFly were a guest, and they got them to write a song, and it turned out just to be a twelve bar, and they got them to write a song in like half an hour using the words sofa, Hyundai, and administration, and yeah, it it was great, wasn't it? That was, was that the one that ended with them. And Justin Hawkins singing Red Light Spells Danger. Uh, quite possibly. I haven't seen the full show for a long time. Which is a great version. It's a great version, you know. Like, I think it's, it's, I think it's Jeremy Clarkson playing the drums. Um, and Justin Hawkins singing and they perform Red Light Spells Danger at the end of the show, like over the credits. And it, it's great. McFly are fantastic. I, sorry, I'm not giving them enough credit. McFly are absolutely fantastic. They had a, a, an, an astonishing first album. Right with the surf pop, room on the third floor vibe, it was amazing. 
and they did something very, very clever with their second album, which they essentially reinvented their sound. And it's something McFly have done every single album. They've reinvented their sound, which is, I think, is, is a, um, a, a commendation to their longevity as a group because they never get stale. The second album became a lot more soft pop. It became a bit more friendly. It fe- felt like you weren't listening to teenagers anymore. Because obviously, you, like even Dougie was 15 when McFly were formed. So they were very, very young for that first album. But the, the second album and then the movie as well, because they, they had a movie, didn't they? So Buster had the fun was, but McFly had Just My Luck with Lindsay Lohan, which was a, a great film. And then they re-released um, a, 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 like a compilation McFly album as their first like American album, and they did a much heavier version of Five Colors. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I listened to that earlier, and I was like, what have they done to it? <laughs> I was quite disappointed. I was like, but... But the I, I don't know whether maybe an American executive went, it sounds like the Beatles. It doesn't it we it shouldn't sound like the Beatles. It's like, well, it kinda needs to because it was the throwback that everybody wanted. Yes. I feel like some executive in America somewhere was just like, All right, just turn up the game because it's too it's too it's and it's something maybe it's a British thing. Maybe it's just because we're British. But they were always very clean cut very good and they always they always appeared to have the right the right etiquette the right behavior the right mannerisms they were they were always very they were a very well behaved band um and i feel like when they've gone to america because obviously america is not like us we're we're obviously a culturally worlds away from america they're a lot more extroverted they're a lot more outgoing there they have a lot more uh, a lot more like a gas inside them as it were and you you get that with that McFly album that that they released in America is it's just they've clearly got a, it's more or less the same rhythm because you can break it down by listening to the track right so you've got the same bass lines you've got the same rhythm guitars they've turned the gain up on the lead guitars that's it and they've just done some like either turned the drums up or made them a bit thrashier um, but it gives it gives it it gives the album in particular that song Five Colors more spunk to it more power. And that's what I suppose, you know, because obviously for them, it'd been three, four years since they did Five Colors in your hair. So, you know, they, who, you know, they probably wanted to change things up. Yeah. And it certainly shows that the American market is occasionally different to this one. Now, to go back once again, you, you name dropped because I mentioned that Top Gear special, which, you know, was, was very good. I always remember it. But you, you name dropped Justin Hawkins of the darkness which again was another band while busted might have been inspirational on one end they really kick-started that first album permission to land was like was like it was like somebody had taken justin hawkins in like 1972 and free frozen him and then brought him out you know 30 years later he was just like this guy from another time. And that music was that there were a lot of old school rock people that were really into it. Yeah, absolutely. I think the darkness were absolutely fantastic. Justin Hawkins has a voice like no other. Um, And still does, still does. It's still actually very recognizable because when he was on the masked singer, um, I, I figured it out before they did Mastics. I heard his falsetto on one of the songs, and I was like, "There's only one man on planet Earth 
that has that falsetto and it is Justin Hawkins. Um, the Darkness were absolutely amazing. Um, they influenced so many. There used to be a band down our way in Wigan called Smitten Kitten. Um, and they were basically a, they, they basically a darkness five years on. That's what they were. They, that glam cheese pop um, was very heavy, guitar driven. You know, you had the white Les Paul and the singer used to wear like a gi on stage. And it was and this really long, like two meter long air. I just went everywhere. Always smelt lovely, though. I, wonder what, I still don't know to this day what shampoo he used. Um, but it gave rise to so much and influence, influenced so many. And that's what's great about the the early noughties in terms of music. Because you, you've got to think as well. So bands like Blink-182 and stuff became um, huge, especially at that point, especially the mid-90s mid, mid to early 2000s. They were, they were popping. They were incredible, and that then itself gave rise to to bands in America like All Time Low, uh, to Panic at the Disco, to uh, even I, I don't know if I'm right here, but I, you can hear so you can hear some forms of that music in in my chem, all of it, and something uh, something just it's just incredible. And it all let it all you know was very 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 popular at that time, and it had a bit of it had a bit of a resurgence, you know, when uh, Five Seconds of Summer came about in 2014 and released that amazing pop punk album that they'd written with Blink Blink One Eight Two and All Time Low and all these amazing pop punk greats, and they took that back into the mainstream, right? And so they 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 did they did the album uh, with, with John Feldman, who then did the Blink One Eight Two 2016 album California, which is the best Blink One Eight Two album, just is. There's no question. Um, and All Time Low did a pretty good album that year. Green Day did a pretty good album that year. There was just there was this emergence of sound. John Feldman, who was actually I think is it is it Goldfinger the band um, that do all like the, the the trumpets and stuff, the ska ska punk. Like he's in that band, uh, but it, but he's also so well known as this uh, this producer who's doing like these amazing amazing things. Yeah, and. It all seems to kick off, as you say, in the mid nineties to mid noughties. Um, loads of, of bits and pieces. How how many how many bands, local bands, have you heard do all the small things? My own old local band used to do all the small things. It's such a, everyone knows it, you know, it's such an easy song to play. It was quite funny actually, because I had my own Charlie Simpson moment back in twenty thirteen. Because uh, my, my first ever band that ever joined was an acoustic ska punk band called Venture. Um, and I was, I was 15, 16, playing the ukulele. I played the ukulele and the banjo because my specialty is a folk instrument. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll put this to, to good use. And, you know, we, we did really good. We were like an, we were a nine piece at one point. Loads of us couldn't fit us on a stage. Uh, but it was always very nice music. Do you know what I mean? It was very nice. My mum loved it. And if my mum loved it, I knew that I wasn't being rebellious enough. So I left. Um, and I, <laughs> I was like, screw you, I'm going to make something you hate. Um, and I, formed, I, I formed um a, a pop punk band. First, we were called Indiana, um, which sucked because literally a week after we launched, a singer, a female singer called Indiana emerged. She had a publishing deal, all of it. And we had to change our name to pray for the weekend. And this was before the weekend was a thing. So we, we, we had it. It was good. Um, and we always we always played all the small things. Always. We did... Um, 
and because that was that was I felt like that was my Charlie Simpson moment. That was my like this playing this ukulele is not fulfilling me anymore. Give me a bass and a, a distortion pedal on the bass and a wireless pack so I can jump off stage and be a, feel alive at a gig. And you know I've never felt actually more alive than I have at some of those gigs that we we played with. And it's the power of the kind of music as well. Pop rock, it's it's so fantastic. And I say what the first song we ever ever played live was. Saturday Night by McFly from the first album um, because we were I, I'll do I'll, 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 um, I'll send you it I'll send you it actually I might even make it public because we never ever released it but we were working on a single when my old band broke up we never ever released it we own all the rights to it so I can leak it if I want no one's going to be bothered it's, it's funny because I thought I thought that there's I'm, I'm going to get punked here I <laughs> thought you're going to say we did a cover of Saturday Night by Wigfield. <laughs> That's what I was expecting. Um, but no, that sound that sounds interesting. And it sounds like, you know, again, you've taken influence yeah. from those people that you heard when you were when you were younger, which you know, which shows that even now, you know, they still have the power. Because that, that's the thing, a lot of pop music, a lot of things that goes into the mainstream, uh, pretty much people tend to write it off after five minutes. It's not going to last very long. One thing I've learned from doing this and um, when I used to be on music radio is you never write off music no matter where it came from because somebody will always find influence there somewhere. Someone will be influenced. Someone might pick up a guitar. Someone might learn a dance routine. Um, somebody might learn to sing or even rap. Absolutely. You know, Hip-hop is one of my secret passions. I, I, I love it so much. And again, let's go, back to the, let's go back to the early 2000s and talk about Slim Shady for a sec. Because um, oh my, like, whenever I want to feel powerful, I will put on Eminem. Right? I will listen to the, to the old quirky comedy stuff, more over to the newer, more hard-hitting stuff like, uh, stuff like Recovery, especially Recovery. I love that album so much. Can't believe it's 10 years old. Um, I, and like... It, it's so powerful, hip hop, you know, and so many people would just really mock Eminem. Right? And a lot of my friends don't watch, share the same music interests as me. So when I'm like, um, when I'm blasting Eminem or I've got my earphones, I'm like, what are you listening to? And listen to it and it's bad meets evil, fast lane. And they're like, they're like what, 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 what are you, why are you doing this? I'm like, because you don't understand how it makes someone feel. And that's what a lot of people, in particular music snobs, right? And the music snobs, right? There's, there's many of them, many of them. The, the I, I quite, I like, I, I usually quite find that some, um, some of my more, and I don't, I know they won't mind me saying this, but some of my more heavy metal friends, so those with the long hair and the band t-shirts and all the denim and chains and spikes, they don't realise it, but are very, very snobbish towards other types of music, right? And in particularly hip hop, it's like they're sworn enemies, right? It's like if I went to one of my mates' house with Eminem in my earphones, I, I'd be shunned. They'd look at me weird. Do you know what I mean? I don't know why there's this massive rivalry. Because I said, I, so I said to my mate, I said, so you listen to um, you listen to Megadeth and um, Metallica and Sabaton and these fantastic metal bands. I said, why do you listen to them? And they said, well, it makes me it makes me feel in control. It makes me feel powerful. I said, well, that's why I listen to Eminem. We're essentially, we're, we're getting, we want the same feeling, just the same feeling, just different drug. Do you know what I mean? But they don't, they don't get it. And I feel like so many music snobs so right off that early 2000s quirky hip hop. But 
oh, it, you know, the, there wouldn't be a world turning today without early 2000s uh, hip-hop. No, I, I can admit I wasn't a fan then, but I do have a liking for Lose Yourself in particular. Yeah. Um, some of, I mean, you have to appreciate somebody who's able to, um, to use the terminology, spit out rhymes at a very fast rate. And um, I, I particularly like the way that some pop punky type bands do that as well. Well, they'll they'll have it's almost like a musical type thing. It's like you know when they're they're like talk singing in musicals. That's kind of what it's like, but they're doing it in double speed. Well, it's poetry. It's 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 just modern poetry. That's 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 hip hop. It's you know people in the 1600s they go to Hyde Park Corner to watch the poets. Now you go to the O2 Arena to watch Eminem or these or other fantastic rappers. Grimes not something I've ever been able to get behind. I don't feel like I, I it doesn't I doesn't it doesn't make me feel anything personally, um, and that's fine. I can appreciate it. I won't turn it off. Um, but in particular, the old the old hip hop is, is so is so good for the soul. I find like, and you know, the, the, I've had it questioned to me before, which is how can you like. Um, how can you like Eminem, given you know the things he says and the the language he uses and the offensive slurs he does? Well, Eminem's he's almost especially in particular those early songs like "Without Me" and you know he was a he was a caricature. He was taking the mick out of white rappers, and. And again, again, it's, it's that whole thing of you know, there's because I, I got some backlash on Twitter when I when I once posted an Eminem song, and someone was inevitably because you can't, you know, someone will always have something to say on Twitter. So I posted an Eminem song, and someone was like, "How dare you?" So I was like, "Oh, it's going to be a good day." Um, so and and I was like, "Well, what, what's your problem with it?" And it's like, "It's very offensive." And I'm like, "Well, you do know it's it's a mockery, you know. If you have you ever watched Spitting Image or 2D TV or any of these like fantastic." Sort of mockery shows like it, it's just that it's essentially satire it's just um more urban it's more urban satire and that's essentially what eminem was and they eventually um calmed down and decided that i wasn't actually evil it's it, it's it's hip-hop it, it's fantastic i love it so much well what a varied conversation this has been um we started <laughs> off going yay busted Mm, yeah mcfly and we've gone into um we've gone into hip-hop but you see that this is what um I, I was saying to you before we started is that you might be into one thing you might be a fan of busted or mcfly or the killers or whatever but you do also like i like all those bands but i also like blue and boyzone and s club seven um i have you know i like uh vanilla rice so um you know, it's it's variety, um, definitely. And and you make reference to you being a radio presenter. I think you need it when you're on the radio. Yeah, and I think radio is great. Uh, being a radio presenter is amazing because it gives you this. It gives you, uh, I believe, a much stronger passion for the music because not only are you do you because a lot of people listen to music for themselves, but then as a radio presenter, you're not just selling the song to yourself. When you listen to it, you have to sell it to your audience. And I feel like that can make one develop a, a, a stronger attachment to the song in question. I, I think we'll call it there. But thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Danny. And uh, give, it, give it a small plug to your radio show. 
Oh, so um, I now present Friday afternoons, one till three on 96.5 Bolton FM. Um, I have a podcast that will be launching probably at the end of September. Um, it's nothing to do with music. It's going to be about a topic that I've never spoken in the public forums about before, which should be very interesting. But I've got that coming up. Um, and I run a dice shop. So if you need dice, buy your dice from me at the Frog and Flute. Excellent. What a varied conversation that turned out to be. Thank you, Danny, for joining me on the podcast. And um, like I say, with every subject that we cover, don't worry, McFly, Busted and everything else mentioned in that conversation will be covered again at some point. And if you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then you can email, you can tweet and you can Facebook message us as well. And just let me know if you'd like to come on and talk about a particular subject. Right now it's time for this. Right, now it's time for the section known as the empty compartment. Three questions, one guest, um, all 90s and noughties related questions. The more random, the better. And my guest today is podcaster Jack Haywood um, from Jack's Throwback Attack, which is a, a wonderful podcast based around kids' television of the 90s and 2000s and uh, thank you for joining us today jack how did you get started with with podcasting um so basically i've always had an interest in radio i've been a volunteer in radio for uh, nearly 10 years um since i was 17 and um i'm a big fan of nostalgia i was a, you know i have happy memories of watching citv as a child and later on cbbc and as i got older all those shows finished and uh, this was around about the mid 2000s started browsing youtube um, you know for old clips and you know to remember stuff and um, at some point i kind of thought well i want to kind of put this knowledge and interest to some use so over the years i tried various things like different blogs and other projects that never really took off and then back in 2018 I decided to start a blog all over again. While writing the blog, I thought, well, wouldn't it be nice to do a bit of podcasting as well alongside it? Um, and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Originally, I was, it was just going to be me and a friend discussing our memories of various shows. And I did like a few pilots and they were pretty rubbish. Um, so I thought, well, wouldn't it be nice to try and get some of the people involved in those classic shows um, to be on the podcast and chat with me? Like I say, I volunteer in radio. I volunteer at a place called WCR based in Wolverhampton. And I asked the manager there if he'd allow me to borrow the studios to do this, this project. And he said, yes. And I didn't really expect it to go very far, um, but uh, I started emailing various people back in 2018. And amazingly, most of them re responded and said, yes, love to talk about various kids TV shows that we're involved with. Here we are a couple of years later, I've done two series and there is a third on the way and it's been great fun. I can say that uh, that podcast is well worth checking out and i do recommend it for those who are fans of citv cbbc and any related subjects now on to the main point of this section 
I will now ask a question that is 90s and noughties related. We discuss it for a few minutes, then we move on to the next thing. So I knew that Jack was coming today. I knew that um, of the podcast that he presented, and I wanted to ask him something of relevance. So back in the day, Jack, when you were watching all of these shows on CITV, CBBC, what were you were you eating or drinking anything while you were doing it or were you fixated on the screen good question that one um definitely fixated on the screen for the most part but i do have memories of eating very specific foods uh, watching citv and, and drinking various drinks this was kind of like the turn of the millennium so the popular drink at that time was sunny delight i have to say um, everyone was mad on that in terms of the food the staple diet of my tea times back then and for many years was turkey twizzlers and potato smiley faces and occasionally microchips, which were in retrospective, um, not that great. <laughs> they were a bit bland, but uh, that's what comes to mind uh, when I when I think of what I ate watching television. There's a lot of processed food there. Yeah, not great, is it? Not great. I was a bit of a pussy eater <laughs> as a child. Sunny Delight, didn't they find that had chemicals or something in it and it had to be taken off the shelves and rebranded? Um, I think the controversy was is that they found out there actually wasn't much real fruit juice in there. It was very little fruit juice and a lot of um, syrups and oils and other rubbish um, and, and, art and you know artificial colorings and sweeteners which were all the rage back then you know you don't get that in children's drinks or sweets anymore yeah that's what i remember anyway but uh, and i do remember that there were various flavors of sunny delight as well but these days you very rarely see it and if you do it's just the uh, the standard orange flavor yeah it's it's very i i suppose because they had all of that controversy um it's best to keep it simple and of course turkey twizzlers have come back have you managed to bag yourself a box yet i haven't i'd heard something about they were going to come back i didn't know they actually had come back so maybe that's something I'll have to uh, look out for in the supermarkets. Well, yeah, you'll have to relive it while watching uh, Roger and the Rotten Trolls or something. Absolutely. What a class show. Yeah, I was really surprised, actually, to see that that's out on DVD now. It is. It is. And I was one of the ones who pre-ordered it as soon as I saw that. I was. It was funny, really, because... I've interviewed a few people who worked on that show. Uh, maybe we'll go more into that a bit later on. But uh, a couple of episodes were released on video, which I do have. But the idea of the whole lot being released just seemed a fantasy because although it was very big at the time, it's kind of been largely forgotten. And and then all of a sudden, um, a couple of weeks later, there was this announcement that it was going to be released on DVD, released by an archive TV group called Kaleidoscope, um, who I, I know of, but I'm not uh, I'm not a member of. But they obviously must have um, uh, got a hold of the rights or the archive or something and uh, released it. So fair play to them. Yeah, I was quite surprised by that because I know of Kaleidoscope and they predominantly deal with a lot of 60s, 70s, 80s stuff. Um, yeah, you know, so that was an, an interesting thing. Mm, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Um, I do know on the DVD there's an interview with um, Tim Firth, who was the writer. So I'm assuming that they uh, there must be good friends with him, and it happened that way somehow. I'm sure any 
fans of Kaleidoscope, if they're listening to this, will uh, will let me know or correct me on that one. I'm sure. Well, that is um, that's my question. We got your answer. Sunny delight, Turkey Twizzlers, all classic things. I'm sure that people can. Uh, can relate to because i know that i had that experience myself a very similar one i'll now turn it over to you so i'll say i haven't heard this question before i don't know what's coming so jack what's your question for this episode um well it's kind of related to rotten trolls and saying about you know shows that have been forgotten um are there any shows that were on citv or cbbc or or any of the the satellite children's channels that you remember fondly but if you talk to your friends, no one's ever heard of it. And you just can't seem to know, you can't seem to find anybody else that knows this show, but you remember it so fondly. Uh, and, and isn't it frustrating when that happens? Do you ever experience that? Yeah. Um, I think many people that are interested in the subject have had that experience, although it's been a long time because I, I speak to a lot of people like yourself um, who remember things like Adam's Family Tree and uh, and the like and uh, poltergeists and all that sort of thing but there are a few that if you spoke to the average person they probably wouldn't remember um i i mean i i didn't realize until citv started rerunning some stuff in in the early 2010s for their anniversary that um, Mike and Angelo and, and things like that were so fondly remembered. I thought that was really obscure. Yeah, Mike and Angelo ran for over 10 years, and I had a few episodes on video, which I, I used to watch often. Um, it was popular, and it ran for a long time. I think it's one of those that is forgotten until you mention it or you play a clip of it, because I, I know a few people have said, I've said, oh, do you remember Mike and Angelo? And they go, No. Once I play a clip, once they see that shot of Angelo walking onto the ceiling and doing the juggling upside down, it all comes back to them then. Or the flying wardrobe, you know, that, that you, you see at the start. Um, so sometimes you just have to jog people's memory, I think. Yeah, I, I think so. And, uh, well, I, I can ask you that question, can't I? I mean, is there anything that, that, um, that you remember that perhaps nobody else does? Yeah, there's a couple. I, in fact, um, I, did, I did a video once and it was like 20 forgotten CITV shows of the 90s. I'm not going to list off 20. Um, I've written down just a couple. Um, Rotten Trolls was one of them, but we've pretty much discussed that now. Um, but if you've never seen it, do check it out um so yeah one of them being have a kazoo which was um on milkshake um very very early channel five it was a daily morning show for preschool children on around about seven in the morning um and it had a couple of presenters on it uh and they lived in a windmill and it had a character called messy who was a robot um and it ran for a couple of years but that seems to be forgotten um there was also a show called Snug and Cozy, which was a slapstick comedy on CITV about two bumbling spacemen that spoke this gibberish language, um, which I had very vague visions of until years later when I come across a clip on YouTube uploaded by one of the people who, who wrote the show and, and starred in it, which was, which was nice. A uh, couple more, um, The Experimenter, which was a, a BBC learning programme about science, which um, had a uh, and, I, and again, an alien, an alien called XP, who was trying to find out about Earth with his friend Sarah. And then the other two were staples of of uh, Friday afternoons on CITV for a while. Two uh, brilliant game shows, one called Pump It Up, which is all about inflatables, and Mad For It, which was a, a magazine show that had all various bits in it. And it was uh, presented by uh, a guy called Mike McLean. 
Um, I remember both of those very fondly. So those are the ones off the, off the top of my head, I'd have to say. I remember Pump It Up and Mad for it and uh, Get Wet as well. Yes, Get Wet was was good. Um, Simeon Corti uh, has previously been a guest on the podcast and he, he told some good anecdotes about that, about the fact that it was um, filmed at a very run-down swimming bath in one of the worst parts of Glasgow. But it was the only place big enough to accommodate the set which was a, a funny anecdote yeah i'm sure that the uh, the listeners out there will remember some of those shows i can admit that i personally some of those don't sound familiar but a little bit like with mike and angelo perhaps if i saw a clip um i would be more familiar i remember those milkshake shows because i know there were certain parts of the country where you couldn't get channel five and i think we were one of them so uh yeah so uh, some of it passed me by but uh yeah you're, you're really digging deep there i can tell it's what i like to do i like to shine a light on the well-known shows but then also go what about this and i do the same with the interviews like i've had people on like dave benton phillips who has been asked about get your own back thousands of times yes i asked him about get your own back in play days but then i'd go ah but what about pet swap or um, wake up in the wild room and i don't think he was expecting somebody to ask him questions about those shows there was there was i remember there was this moment where there was just a couple of seconds silence and then just yes <laughs> so that was nice it is true though when you do interview these people you are wary that you're almost repeating what has already been heard and you're trying to find another angle i remember dave actually from was it playhouse disney he did for a while yes i remember that very well yeah, and he did a, a cookery show as well called Bite Size, which was on Playhouse Disney. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you for asking that question. So it's the listener question, and today it comes from Matthew, and he knows that we're both massive Art Attack fans, and he wanted to ask us kind of what our memories were of the TV show Art Attack presented by Neil Buchanan. Absolutely. Uh, one of my all-time favourite shows. Uh, memories of Art Attack, where to start, really? Because um, I've been a fan of it all my life. So much so, uh, the, the 30th anniversary of this year, and I, I did do a video on YouTube, which is kind of like a, a, a little bit of a documentary about the show, you know, detailing facts about it. And I had to go through lots and lots of clips um, about, about, you know, of the show to um, highlight it. I'm trying to think of like the ones that really stick out for me. Um, cause I remember, obviously I remember watching it on CITV and I would watch it on the Disney channel cause they used to show all the very old ones on there at the same time. Um, the only thing I've ever made off Art Attack, um, was something called a garbage gobbler, which was a, a monster shaped bin made of paper mache. There was also, um, I had a video called CITV favorites, which had a, an episode of Art Attack on. I remember there was something called 3D noughts and crosses, which was noughts and crosses again, made out of paper mache um wax resist pictures I, I did a lot of and it was just such a good show it was really eye-catching it was bold and it, it made it made art really fun it inspired a generation of children not just here all around the world and it's amazing really from you know from just a an idea for an art show um ended up turning into an international phenomenon which made neil buchanan and, and his business partners millionaires when they sold it off it's an absolutely incredible story i think it wasn't just him in the studio either he got out and there was that weird head thing that was uh was it called just the head the head yeah um, puppeteered by a guy called francis rice 
And again, um, a guest, previous guest on my podcast, and a very, very lovely guy. He did it for the best part of 12, 13 years, uh, sat in that in that box. He really was inside the box with his arm up in, in the head and voicing it at the same time as operating it um, with, with a monitor down by his feet. And uh, that was very funny. And like you say, going outside, the big, the big pictures, the big art attacks, I think the one that most people remember is the picture of the Queen out of out of um, £250,000 in real money. And also ones like, um, i trying to think off the top of my head, there was the, the one in New York um, where he did a picture of Santa across the Manhattan skyline. My favourites were always the ones where he drew using salt or lentils and it's like a plain black or white background. And there was one where he did a Chinese dragon out of lentils. And I always liked that one. I thought that was very good. And Neil is the one person I'd love to have on the podcast, but it hasn't happened yet, but never say never. I do try every now and again. Well, Neil, I mean, talking about subjects, you'd have so many places to go because, you know, he did Art Attack. He was also in Zap um, and he did number 73 as well. Mm, yeah. An incredible story, really. I kind of highlighted that when I did the video, to, you know, because he started out wanting to be a musician originally um which didn't work out for him so he was looking for work and he spotted an advert looking for people um that wanted to be a part of a, a new saturday morning show he applied for it he got the job off the back of that he got to know some people who worked at the tv studios and a couple of years down the line he decided to pitch an idea for an art show and the rest they say is history Indeed. And uh, happy birthday, Art Attack. It's 30 years this year. And it's, it's kind of a shame that due to some legal wranglings, they won't be able to um, even release any of the early episodes because of that. Mm, yeah, the whole TVS thing. That is a very confusing thing that I, I just don't understand or get into. <laughs> I know it's a, a hot topic amongst uh, fans of classic TV. Oh, definitely. So, sadly, Art Attack may remain... Uh, unseen, although saying that there is a Disney version now. Yes, they did do a remake, didn't they? I mean, Disney had done the international versions originally when, at the same time as Neil doing the UK version, they filmed it in the same studio. But then once Art Attack had finished and, and the media merchants folded um, and it was sold to a company called, um, uh, it was sold to Brit Allcroft and then it went to Ghislaine and then it was passed on to Hit Entertainment. And uh, Disney still wanted to carry on showing it, so they, they bought the rights off um, Hit Entertainment and continued making it for the international market and did their own British remake. I know there's a lot of people out there that would say, you know, that's that's wrong, you can't do that, it's Neil's show. Um, but, you know, it's uh, I guess it was for a new audience, you know, and uh, you have to kind of sometimes move on and realise, you know, that was then, this is now, things move on sometimes, and you have to accept that. Um but yeah, no, a great, great show and very, very fond memories of, of watching it. And uh, if you ever go on my blog page, you'll see that a couple of times um, I've gone to Comic-Con and cosplayed as Neil dressed in a red art attack sweatshirt with uh, a pencil. I don't really look anything like him, but it was good fun to do. Lots of people come up to me wanting photos, which was, uh, which was great fun. Excellent. Well, thank you to Matthew for asking that question. And uh, thank you to Jack for joining me today. And um, if you want to check out his podcast, it's Jack's Throwback Attack. It's available on all your favorite podcast providers and also YouTube. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
And once again, I'd like to say thank you to my guests for this episode, Danny Sim and Jack Haywood. And be sure to join me on the next episode due same time, same place next week. Thank you for listening to 90s and Noughties UK, a podcast on UK pop culture of the 90s and 2000s. Please remember to rate, comment and subscribe on your favourite podcast provider. If you want to contact the show, email 90sandnoughties at gmail.com, tweet us on at 90sandnoughtiesUK on Twitter, or check us out on Facebook, 90sandnoughtiesUK. UK.